Let's open our Bibles together to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. I'm going to read and preach verses 10 through 12 of Psalm 51 this evening. We're returning again to this well-known psalm that we've been working our way through here and there on Sunday evenings. And tonight we come to three pairs of requests that David makes to God, two positive ones, followed by two negative ones, followed again by two positive ones. You can see them there in your sermon notes. I've just labeled them using the main verbs in each request. First, create and renew in verse 10. Then, cast not and take not in verse 11. And finally, restore and uphold in verse 12. And as we look at these together, I trust that they will resonate in our own hearts. Because we too, each one of us, are sinners who need God to give us clean hearts and right spirits. We too need more of the presence of God and the Spirit of God in us, in our lives. And we too need the joy of our salvation continually restored to us. And we need to continually be upheld by God with a willing spirit that he works in us by the power of his spirit. So let's pray and ask for God's help and then we'll dive into these verses together. Let's pray. Oh God, we pray that you would create in us a clean heart and renew in us a right spirit as we listen to the reading and the preaching of these verses. Be present with us now. Give us more of your spirit. Restore to us the joy of your salvation of us and uphold us with willing spirits. Willing spirits that long like a newborn baby for the pure spiritual milk of your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 51, reading verses 10 through 12. This is the pure Word of God. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Let's look at the first pair of requests stated positively, create and renew. The first word of verse 10 is the word create. Create in me a clean heart, David says to God. Create, he asks the creator to create, to make something, to bring something into being. God brought the whole universe into being, didn't he? He made everything out of nothing. So kids, if you're playing with Play-Doh or Legos, you can make something out of that material, can't you? You can make a pizza, you can make a boat, you can make a house. You can make those things out of Play-Doh or Legos, but you can't make those things out of nothing. You can't just say, let there be pizza. Suddenly there would be a pizza in front of you, even though that would be amazing to do, wouldn't it? But God can do that 
In fact, God did do that. He made all things out of nothing. He made all things simply by speaking them into being. He said, let there be light. And there was light. And so on. The creator created. And here David asks him to do it again. Create in me a clean heart, David says. In me personally, not in someone else. Not in that person over there who really needs it, but in me. Not in those people out in the world, but in me. Not in my spouse, but in me. He recognizes his own need before God and he asks God for help. Create in me, within me, inside me, in the inner man, not just the outer man. He asks God to make something, to bring something into being in his inner being. Again, what is it that he asks God to create in him? He asks God to create in him a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Not create in me a heart, since he already had a heart, but create in me a clean heart, since he had an unclean heart. God, of course, creates in us a clean heart once and for all by the act of regeneration. But we also need him to create in us a clean heart every day. And every time we sin. And that's because of the already but not yet character of our salvation. Even though we've been regenerated, we still have that remnant of corruption that remains in us. There's a sense in which our hearts have already been made clean. And there's also a sense in which our hearts remain unclean. Or perhaps we could say a part of our heart remains unclean. And therefore, we need to ask our God for a clean heart every day and every time we sin. A couple things by way of application here. First of all, I think this reminds us how dependent we are on God for cleansing at the level of the heart. How dependent we are on God for cleansing at the level of the heart. When we pray this, create in me a clean heart, Oh God, we're asking God to do what only God can do. We're asking the creator to do what only the creator can do. When you have heart trouble, you need a heart doctor. When our hearts are unclean, we are dependent on the great physician to heal us. Matthew Henry put it this way. He said, he only that made the heart can new make it. And to his power, nothing is impossible. He created the world by the word of his power as the God of nature. And it is by the word of his power as the God of grace that we are clean, that we are sanctified. So we are dependent on God for cleansing at the level of the heart. This also reminds us again of the importance of the heart, not just the behavior. David's focused here on his heart, on the inside of him, on the inner man. He doesn't just want to look clean on the outside. He wants to be clean on the inside. He's not so concerned about his outward appearance as he is about his heart. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. He's not concerned about his reputation. He's concerned about his soul. 
We're told in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. We are to guard our hearts with as much vigilance as perhaps many of us saw World Cup soccer goalies guard their goals. That's because of how important our hearts are. From our hearts flow the springs of our lives. And so our hearts need to be thoroughly cleansed by God and vigilantly guarded by us. One more thought on this. I think these words, create in me a clean heart, O God, can give us hope in our battle against sin. If God can create everything out of nothing, he can create in us a clean heart, can't he? It's easy to get discouraged in the battle against sin sometimes, especially when the battle is relentless and sin just won't quit, won't take a break. But we can have hope in the battle if our confidence is in our creator. We can have hope in the battle if our trust is in his power to create in us a clean heart. So instead of discouragement, we can have hope. And it will be a battle. It will be an ongoing battle. And we shouldn't lose sight of that. Progressive sanctification is a process, not a one-time event. We're born again instantaneously, but we grow progressively. It's not like we ask God to create in us a clean heart once, and then we have a clean heart forever, and there's no more sin in us. No, that won't come until we die or when Christ returns. So it's a process. It's like learning how to play the piano. We shouldn't expect to be a concert pianist after a single lesson, nor should we be ex- expect to be cleansed forever after praying a single time, creating me a clean heart. Rather, we should trust God's power and grace to give us what we need in the moment and then keep fighting the battle every day until the war is over. So I would encourage you just to let these words of God inject some hope into your bloodstream this evening. Hope in your battle against sin that God himself can create in us clean hearts. The second half of this first pair of requests, more briefly now, is there in the second half of verse 10. And renew a right spirit within me. This is similar to the first request. You can tell there's some parallelism going on here. Create in me a clean heart and renew within me a right spirit. So instead of asking God to create in him a clean heart, he's now asking God to renew in him a right spirit. And he's talking about his own spirit here. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit. David had a wrong spirit within him and he needed a right spirit within him. He needed a right spirit renewed within him. He needed spiritual renewal in a sense. He's saying to God, I had a right spirit by your grace before I sinned, but then I sinned and my spirit's all wrong within me. So renew that right spirit within me again. Restore my soul. Refresh my spirit. Reinvigorate my inner being, O God. He doesn't just want to be forgiven. He wants to be changed and transformed. Changed from the inside out 
transformed by the renewal of his mind, transformed by the renewal of a right spirit within him. It's important for us to remember that being a Christian is about being forgiven of our sins, but it's not just about being forgiven. It's also about being renewed and changed and transformed. When we come to Christ in faith, he forgives us of our sins once for all, but he also begins the lifelong process of transforming us into his image. He begins to go to work on our heart. He begins to go to work in our spirit, in every aspect of who we are, really, to make us more and more like himself. Like the idea of our heart being Christ's home, where he comes to take up residence in the home of our heart. And he begins to go to work on every room in our heart, cleaning certain things out, bringing certain things in. He begins to renew a right spirit within us, in every part of us. The Christian faith isn't just about being released from prison. It's also about living a new life as one who's been set free. And every day we need God to keep renewing a right spirit within us. Every day we need Christ to keep renovating every room in our heart. Well, this first pair of requests, put positively, is followed by a second pair of requests, put negatively. Cast not and take not. And let's look at that now in verse 11. Look at verse 11. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Cast me not away from your presence, David says. Of course, there's a sense in which we can never be cast away from God's presence because he is omnipresent. He is everywhere present. There's nowhere we can go where he's not there. There's nowhere we can be cast where he's not present. Remember Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10? Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. But David's not really talking about being cast away from God's presence absolutely, Rather, he's talking about being cast away from God's presence experientially, from God's felt presence, from God's gracious presence, from God's favor and approval. So when he says, cast me not away from your presence, the the sense of that is, cast me not away from your favor, from your smiling face, from your gracious countenance. Don't turn your face away from me in fatherly displeasure and discipline. Hide your face from my sins, but don't hide your face from me, O Lord. The hymn writer William Cooper makes a striking observation about the effect of David's sin on his experience of God's gracious presence. Listen to what William Cooper said. See how dear bought are the pleasures of sin. When a man, to enjoy the face of the creature deprives himself of the comfortable face of the creator. If a man could remember this in all Satan's temptations, what it is that the deceiver offers and what it is again that he seeks, he would be loath to buy the perishing pleasures of sin upon such a price as Satan selleth them. 
but would answer him, as the apostle did Simon Magus, thy money with thyself go into perdition. Thy gain, thy glory, thy pleasure in whatever thou wouldst give me to offend the Lord my God, go with thyself into perdition. For what canst thou offer me comparable to that which thou wouldst steal from me? Enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin is nothing compared to enjoying the gracious presence of God. So we shouldn't give up the latter to have the former. The presence of God is the greatest joy imaginable. Psalm 16, verse 11, in your presence there is fullness of joy. Can't say that about any sin. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You can't say that about any sin. The presence of God will be the heaven of heaven. It will be what makes heaven, heaven. It will be what makes heaven, heavenly. Revelation 21.3, he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. The presence of God is what awaits us at the end of the journey. And the presence of God is what sustains us on the journey. The more conscious we are of the fact that God is with us, the less likely we are to sin or to live for ourselves or to get discouraged or to be lonely. Cast me not away from your presence, David says. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Again, I don't think he's speaking here absolutely. I think he's speaking here experientially. He's saying, take not the manifest working of your spirit from me. Just like he said, don't cast me away from the experience of your presence. Now he says, don't take away from me the the powerful working of your spirit within me. Old Testament believers had the spirit within them, just not in as great a measure as New Testament believers after the coming of Christ and the pouring out of the spirit at Pentecost. God's spirit dwells in all of God's people. But we want him to dwell in us more richly, don't we? We want him to dwell in us more fully, more impactfully. We want God's spirit to dwell in us more deeply, more thoroughly, more extensively, more powerfully. Put positively, David's praying here, as Matthew Henry put it, for the Spirit to, quote, perfect the work of my repentance, to prevent my relapse into sin, to enable me to discharge my duty both as a prince and as a psalmist. Or as Charles Spurgeon said, Thy Spirit is my wisdom, leave me not to my folly. He is my strength, O desert me not to my own weakness. We need the Spirit, like the desert needs the rain, like a marathon runner needs water, like a new toy needs batteries in order to work, like a body needs a soul. Some have read this verse and taken it to mean that you can lose your salvation. I don't think that's what it's saying. John Calvin responds to that misunderstanding of the meaning in this way. Many learned men have been inconsiderately drawn into the opinion that the elect, by falling into mortal sin, 
may lose the spirit altogether and be alienated from God. The contrary is clearly declared by Peter, who tells us that the word by which we are born again is an incorruptible seed, 1 Peter 1.23. And John is equally explicit in informing us that the elect are preserved from falling away altogether, 1 John 3.9. However much they may appear for a time to have been cast off by God, it is afterwards seen that grace must have been alive in their breasts even during that interval when it seemed to be extinct. Nor is there any force in the objection that David speaks as if he feared that he might be deprived of the Spirit. It is natural that the saints, when they have fallen into sin and have thus done what they could to expel the grace of God, should feel an anxiety upon this point. But it is their, it is their duty to hold fast to the truth that grace is the incorruptible seed of God which never can perish in any heart where it has been deposited. This is the spirit displayed by David. Reflecting upon his offense, he is agitated with fears and yet rests in the persuasion that being a child of God, he would not be deprived of what indeed he had justly forfeited. So even though we deserve to lose our salvation, which was an undeserved gift in the first place, God has promised that he will finish what he started for all of the elect. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1.6. And as Calvin said, we can rest in that truth. And not the kick back and coast kind of rest, but the trust in God and walk by faith kind of rest. Well, the third pair of requests is there in verse 12. Let's look at those now together. Look at verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Of course, when he says your salvation, he means your salvation of me. He's not talking about God's salvation because God doesn't need salvation. He's talking about his own salvation by God because God is the one who saved him. Restore to me the joy of your salvation of me is what he's saying. He's asking God to restore something he'd lost. He'd lost the joy of his salvation. And that may have been, at least in part, what led to his sin. Joy in his salvation Joy in Jehovah perhaps had faded into the background of David's experience and that left him vulnerable to the temptation to find joy in sin. Sort of like if you've ever gone grocery shopping when you're hungry. You know that's not really a very good time to go grocery shopping because your stomach is empty and you just want to fill it with all the things you see as you go up and down those aisles, don't you? But if your stomach was full, if you were satisfied, if you were content, then you wouldn't be so tempted by all those tasty foods. Perhaps David's heart was empty of joy in God, and that left him vulnerable to the temptation to sin. Perhaps the lack of satisfaction in God, the lack of contentment in God, left him hungry for sin. 
The same can be the case with us. The best way to fight your sin is to fill your heart with joy in God. The best way to steel yourself against temptation is to find contentment and satisfaction in the Lord. So perhaps David had lost the joy of his salvation and perhaps that was at least part of what led to his sin. But certainly that was what followed his sin. And now he realizes, I thought this sin would bring me joy, but it didn't. It only brought me misery. It only brought others misery. It only brought dishonor to the name of God. And now I see the evil of it. Now I see the sinfulness of it. So God, please restore to me the joy of your salvation of me. Give me true joy in you, not the false joy of sin that I chased after. What do we sing together? Solid joys and lasting treasure none but Zion's children know. The world offers us joy, but it cannot deliver. Not true joy. It does deliver a kind of joy, but it's a false joy. The package that shows up on your doorstep is never, ever the one you ordered. The joy of sin is a fleeting joy. It's like cotton candy on the tongue of the soul. It's called the fleeting pleasures of sin in Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Don't be duped by the devil. Don't go after the false joy of sin. Find true joy in your salvation, in the Savior. When we enjoy God instead of sin, we exalt his worth, his value as being infinitely greater than the fleeting pleasures of sin. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And finally, David prays, uphold me with a willing spirit. His spirit was not willing before. It was unwilling to do what God had said. It was unwilling to say no to sin and yes to God. But now he prays for a willing spirit within him. He prays for an inner man that is submissive to God. Not my will, but yours be done is the kind of spirit, the kind of attitude he prays for. By nature, we have a stubborn spirit that insists on its own way. By grace, we can have a willing spirit that goes wherever God leads. You notice David prays for God to uphold him. Uphold me, he says. And this is where I want us to land this evening. We need God to hold us up, don't we? We need God to pick us up when we have fallen. We are weak in ourselves. We are weary oftentimes in this fallen world that we live in. 
And we need to be held up by the hand of the Almighty. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We need God to sustain us. We need God to strengthen us. We need God to supply us with grace, to support us, to steady us. And he promises to do that for all of his children. He is faithful to do that for all of his children. As we look to him in faith, he holds us that we shall not fall. Like we just sang together, whate'er my God ordains is right. His holy will abideth. I will be still whate'er he doth and follow where he guideth. He is my God. Though dark my road, he holds me that I shall not fall. Wherefore to him, I leave it all. Even when we choose to fall into sin, like David did, he upholds our salvation. He leads us to repentance. And he picks us back up and sets us back on the path of obedience. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. That's our hope. Our hope is in God. All our eggs are in his basket. And we see that, I think, in the simple fact that all these things we've looked at in these verses together this evening, they're all requests. They're all prayers. They're all David asking God to do something, aren't they? Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. This is not self-talk. This is not David just psyching himself up. This is not David looking in the mirror and vowing to try harder not to sin next time. No, this is David turning away from looking in the mirror and looking up to God. This is David praying to God, asking God to do what only God can do, to create, to renew, to cast not, to take not, to restore, and to uphold. And that's what we can do too as the people of God today as we struggle with sin, as we sometimes fail and fall, sadly, as we see our need for cleansing and renewal and restoration and all the rest, we can turn to God in prayer as David did and know that he will hear us and know that he will do in us what only he can do. Let's pray together. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew in us a right spirit. Cast us not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from us. 
restore to us the joy of your salvation and uphold us with a willing spirit. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a minute now to think and pray about what we've heard from God's word and then we'll sing together.